0: The key difference between the polls and the key reason why some polls show a much narrower lead
1: is a different assumption about how many young people are going to vote. So uh, well, I want young people in Britain to have the best possible choices and chances. In the-
2: because of you,
1: because of your sacrifice, we've saved hundreds of thousands.
2: I want this to be a country where every young person, regardless of which school they go to
0: or what their parents do for a living, is able to follow a similar...
1: Path. I don't know how they can look young people in the
3: face and say that, that they will defend the system and the way in which it has treated
1: those young people.
3: If I were... A- young people and British politics. Over the last 10 years, as our podcast episodes have shown, millennials and Gen Z have received the short end of the stick with regards to education, housing, mental health support and employment, just to name a few. But now Brexit, COVID-19 and the climate crisis have shown that these negative repercussions will carry on far into the future. So if young people have borne the brunt of these crises, then why are not more of them standing for positions in political parties and getting elected? What if British politics experienced a youthquake? What if? What if?
1: What if?
3: What if? A monthly podcast series in partnership with IF, the Intergenerational Foundation. Those aged between 18 to 30 only make up 3% of MPs and less than 10% of local councillors. In fact, the median age of an elected MP is 51, and for a local councillor, it's 59, much higher than the population average. This isn't representative, is it? I spoke to James Sloan, a professor of politics at Royal Holloway University, and Liam Hill, a digital campaigner at the Intergenerational Foundation, to find out why. To state the obvious, it's quite easy to understand why under-18s aren't in the House of Commons because they're still in full-time education. But anyone over the age of 18 can technically be an MP. So why aren't we seeing more under-30s, for example, in Parliament and, and politics in general?
0: I think the reason why young people are put off by certainly mainstream political parties um, is partly to do with our electoral system. What we've seen over recent decades is a movement from sort of this traditional alignment with political parties to involvement in issue-based politics. And that issue based in politics includes key issues like the environment, housing, poverty, um, whatever it is, and within the British political system, you simply don't have um, the variety of political parties that can have an impact. And so, if you look over at a country like Germany, that is both decentralised, and so the regions have a lot of power, and is also has proportional representation. You have a party like the Green Party, you know, which is doing very well, has a lot of young members, and it's really the. Um, British system that puts off, um, first of all, um, younger voters, and then also younger party members. And there's also within the British political system, because it's so centralised around Westminster, there's this tendency towards hierarchy and control. And so if you look at the young Conservatives or young Labour groups, if they go off message, um, they're brought to account pretty quickly. And so the amount of freedom that you have as a young person um, is very
2: limited unless you toe the line. I think also it's, it's really worth it's really worth going over the kind of other institutional barriers, the practical barriers to entry. One of those is simply the cost in terms of the amount of money that it costs to, to live in a seat that you think might become vacant in time for the next couple of elections, to invest just your own time in, in travelling around places and meeting people and making connections with local activists that will Help you to secure a seat. Um, there's research out there suggesting that in terms of both the investment that uh, aspiring MPs have to make in terms of their time and in terms of sort of lost work hours, that it's in the high tens of thousands and even the low hundreds of thousands. Um, and so it's no wonder that younger people are kind of prevented from, from being a part of that system.
3: I guess, from my perspective, there's two sides to it. You know, there's the supply and there's the demand. And obviously, you have problems in the demand side where young people are being put off by politics, or some young people are at least. But you've both raised some really powerful issues of the institutional financial barriers. Um, But do you think maybe there's a third and there's a logistical issue as well that actually young people don't even know how to get involved
0: Um, There is a clear um, relationship between knowing more about politics, um, having greater political literacy being um, taught in schools, for example, and um, political engagement um, with the formal political system. And so um, I'll always ask my students when they come to university and sort of teach um, teaching them politics to what extent they've learned about politics at school. And it's very variable. Most of it's sort of very small unless they happen to have done a politics A-level. And so the amount of learning there is, uh, is tiny. And this is problematic because young people are engaged in politics, but it's about connecting the issues they're interested in to um, the political system. And that's where um, knowledge, logistics, working out how you actually can make an impact um, is a problem, especially if they don't see um, people like them in politics in the first place.
2: I think that that really does lead into, I mean, 2019 especially shows us the problem that we have as young people, as a as a kind of group of people seeking political representation at the highest level. In the sense that we know, for example, that um, older cohorts of voters are larger. We know that um, they're much more likely to vote. Uh, over 65s in the 2019 election, uh, three-quarters of them voted and the same figure for 18 to 24s was under 50%, I think. And so you've, you've got a real problem there because it's no surprise that parties who caught the, the elder generation, the older generation's uh, votes are the ones that are winning at the moment. And so there's a, uh, a real kind of vicious cycle in the sense that um, younger people, see that their votes aren't translating into into uh power for the parties that they're voting for and so they're they're less likely to kind of engage with with party politics
3: so what do you think the consequence then is of this underrepresentation? do you think we're entering a gerontocracy in which older generations are in power and then by default they're just dealing with issues specifically for their demographic or what are your thoughts on that
0: so we we have in demographic terms the oldest Um, electorate society that we've ever had, and that has problems and it leads to reactive public policy because, as you you said Elisa, um, the government is always then dealing with crises and and crisis management. Um, Whereas if you have young people and young people's interests um, engaged with public policy, then it leads to something that's more sustainable that looks further um, forward in the future. How you actually deal with this, I think that you can have small scale um, democracy, but I think the opportunities for this are very limited within the UK, especially um, given the fact that um, local government and regional government are not very well funded and
2: have um, relatively little power compared to other countries. And I think to um, kind of uh, double up on on James's point, um, not only will will the values of young people kind of um, as they, as they track older become more dominant. I think also the the concerns of younger people, if they're not addressed by, by this generation of politicians will have to be addressed by the next one. So for example, um, the price of housing, the, the lack of sort of good uh, sustainable jobs out there for young people, if those things aren't addressed and are still a problem, you know, for people who are in their 20s and 30s now there'll still be a problem for people who a lot of people who are in their 30s and 40s um in a couple of general general elections
0: time i mean it's really interesting isn't it you know will there become a critical juncture where um the economy is going so badly because young people's interests have been neglected where the environment is all going to pop because young people's interests are being neglected that we reach a critical juncture Um, another crisis um, upon which policy must change. Wouldn't it be nice if we could actually preempt these waves of crises and include the voices of young people in public policy, look forward to the future so that um, these crises aren't as extreme? And I think that's the challenge. If we can do that, um, then we're part of the way to finding the solution.
3: To play devil's advocate, though, to your point, there are a lot of counter arguments to more young people getting involved, which we shouldn't ignore. And one such argument is that young people simply lack the experience to have, for example, a 25 year old MP in parliament. What would you say to that?
2: I, well, Firstly, I would say that there are very young MPs. You know, I think you've got um, Mari Black was 23 when she was elected. You have Nadia and you have a you know, several very young MPs um, who are... Doing, doing the job of being an MP, arguably, as well as, as anyone else in the House of Commons. And, you know, the, these MPs are individual merits, other people can, can talk to those. But I mean, we've had young MPs before, it's not, it's not an aberration, and if anything, I'd say it's probably not as common as it should be. I guess one of the, the barriers, another, another one of the barriers that we didn't necessarily touch upon earlier, is what, what are we expecting the, the conveyor belt to becoming an MP to be and one of those that I can think of is to be a local councillor and another thing that we know about local councils is that they skew really quite significantly again to mostly electing older representatives. Um, only 3% of local councillors um, in 2018 were under the age of 30 and less than 10% were under the age of 40 and so I don't know where we are expecting lots of you know experienced and confident young MPs to come from if there are so few uh, young councillors to choose from. Absolutely. I think that it's a really important
0: point Liam makes about um, developing the skills and self-confidence um, to be able to speak in public. So there is no evidence to show that um, young people are particularly less knowledgeable about um, political issues. There is, there is evidence to show that they know less about political institutions. Um, but part of the... Perhaps the knowledge about political institutions is less important than the experience of actually engaging with them. And as Liam says, becoming a local councillor or um, getting involved at that
2: um, local level is really important. And uh, just to follow up on my on my point about local councils earlier, as well as kind of being an important way for young people to be involved in politics and gain experience in politics, it's also really important as far as the decisions that are made at a council level affect young people and. You know for example to take uh, house building you know some of the some of the greatest um barriers that there are to building the the kind of good and affordable houses of the future are at a local government level and the fact that um the fact that local government is the people involved in local government skew older kind of helps to explain that fact so the times that they hold
0: the council meetings are often in the day And younger people who are often working or in university or school or whatever um, just simply can't make that. And I remember speaking to some people, um, some counsellors and young people, and it seemed that counsellors of an older generation, they weren't doing it deliberately, but they weren't even aware that holding meetings at a certain time would mean that younger people couldn't come to those meetings. So sometimes there are some small wins just by making um, people within the system aware that there is a problem.
3: There is a problem indeed. Institutional and financial barriers, a flawed electoral system, and the increase of single-issue politics are just some of the reasons why young people are underrepresented in British politics today. We'll be returning to both Professor Sloan and Liam later on in this episode to discuss some of the solutions to the problems that they raised. But what do young people think for themselves? Why aren't they getting involved? Do they even want to be involved in the first place? I spoke to three young political enthusiasts, Ollie, Tom and Aisha, to hear more from their perspective. So the number of millennials and Gen C that are currently involved in British politics is very, very low. So I'm interested, why are young people not getting involved at an institutional level?
4: I think, more sort of specifically, there is this idea that it's fine and it's good to be a politician if you're old, but it's not if you're young. You know, people who really want to go into politics at a young age, and when I say go into politics, I mean directly sort of as representatives, as MPs, people who want to do it from a young age are branded as career politicians, they're told they don't have any real life experience that they can bring to the job, and of course, I, I understand where that line comes from, but... I really think it, young people are sort of shamed into not going into politics. They, they think they can, they might be right in thinking they can do more in, in other lines of work. But I think there, there really is a shame around politics at the moment and, and it's really hard to get rid of.
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree. I'd say in addition, it's quite a closed system uh, as we're seeing at the moment. So if you want to go and stand for Labour or Conservatives, which generally speaking are the only two parties that are likely to win constituencies, seat, you've got to be part of the gang if that makes sense. You've got to have experience either at a council level to get the trust of people to stand as an MP, or you've got to show loyalty to the, to the leadership, to uh, the manifesto, to your colleagues, which is great if you're agree completely totally 99% with what they're saying but then it gets to the point where if you don't agree with what they're saying then you either got to tread your own path and be a bit rebellious or you've got to go and sort of swallow your moral compass and um, and go along and go against some of the things you believe in which means that by definition you often get people who are older by definition because they've had a number of years sort of making their way up the, the greasy pole to even be selected. And then again, you have people who are more loyal to the party than perhaps certain demographics of, uh, of society, i.e. young people, which means that often it's far harder for young people to be truly rep- represented uh, as an age group, really.
3: I think it's interesting what you've both said so far, because I was also a politics student and I I don't think it was ever a viable career path to say I'm going to be an MP, I'm going to be a councillor. I know my cohort. They went into the civil service, they went into charities, they went to think tanks or they went to do a master's or something completely random. I don't know anybody from the last couple of years, even at my uni who were politics graduates who then went on specifically to enter parliament. Um, Aisha, what do you think?
5: Even if you're not a politics student or, you know, someone who's always had a dream of getting involved in politics. Um, it's just such a daunting experience to have to put yourself out there when you just don't have enough experience in the field, really. and. Um, I think a lot of young people have in a way been scapegoated or demonized by current political systems so in a way I don't massively blame young people for not wanting to engage in that system.
4: Yeah and and just adding on to that I think that there is there's quite a lot of tokenism when it comes to age in politics. If if someone criticizes the age imbalances in parliament people often point to younger MPs so you had Murray Black from the SNP, um, Zara Sultana. There, there is a new cohort of, of MPs who are younger, some of them, but that still does not change the, the overall imbalance that much. And so I think it's really important for us not to sort of be complacent. Yes,
3: yeah, so it's really interesting. There seems to be institutional barriers. There seems to be societal barriers as well. I think a lot of you have hinted towards that. But one thing I don't really understand is that young people are very passionate about single policy issues, trans rights, Black Lives Matter, for example. So do you think that maybe addressing single policy issues is turning them away from supporting political parties? Or do you actually think the support for political parties is quite strong for young people?
5: Just from um, an electoral standpoint, I think it's interesting that um, a lot of parties, there always tends to be the conversation of who's the party of Young people, who do young people vote for? I think, like we said, if young people do tend to engage with single issues, it's a bit off-putting to align yourself totally with one party who have a you know, a written manifesto when you might not necessarily agree with every single thing in that manifesto. And I think it kind of, just on a personal level anyway, it's kind of difficult to align yourself with an institution where, for example, the leader of your party might come out with something that you totally disagree with And it becomes difficult to fully associate yourself with that. But that's, at the moment, one of the only ways to actually get involved in politics.
3: So then following on from that, do you think that young people want to be involved then in politics, Aisha? Um, I definitely do think that young
5: people want to be involved. I know that, you know, for politically active young people, we probably all live in a bit of an echo chamber and think that everyone really wants to be involved and it's really just our mates. Um, I think my... My personal opinion has always been, I think if people knew the extent to which politics would affect them and does affect them, they would definitely want to be involved and I think one of the primary things that puts young people off is, um, you know, big media uh, leading politicians making political literature as inaccessible as possible because they know that if there is a youthquake, it's potentially their jobs or their repre- representation at risk.
4: Yeah, I'm I'm fully with Aisha on that one. I re- I I do think young people want to get involved, but again, I think we mustn't be complacent and we mustn't start to generalize um this 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 group of people, you know, throughout this whole discussion so far. We've used the words young people, you know. That is a a huge number of people and it's not a homogenous group. Um and so I think it's it's important to understand that Yes, there there is a a reasonable number of hyper-interested, hyper-engaged people of around our age who are really, really interested in politics. They follow it closely. They're very passionate about it. But I know that there are also a large number of young people who are so disinterested because they have other interests, because they they, they can't be bothered to follow politics because they feel like it doesn't... Again, as I just said, they feel like it doesn't matter to them. Um, And so, you know... As you said, the word "youthquake." I think it's it, it's important to to guide these conversations with evidence. um And th- there was so much talk when Jeremy Corbyn became leader of the Labour Party that that he was inspiring all these young people, and that was evident from the membership figures. But Youthquake was a, a word strongly associated with the twenty seventeen general election. When really the the increase in youth turnout was actually quite marginal. And so I think we sh- we shouldn't be be celebrating too much when um, yeah, when when certain figures, certain movements, in, in, inspire these reactions. You know, it's it's a, it's generally a great thing to have young. Pe- of course, it's a great thing to have young people involved in politics. But we mustn't see individual examples of it and think that the problem's solved.
3: Do you think that? having more older members of parliament has a negative impact on the so-called group of young people in general
1: so in in that regard i have to say that it does concern me because if you haven't got a fairly representative parliament uh, then how can you realistically fairly represent the country um it's going to be really difficult of of course I'm bothered.
4: The answer answer is yes, unequivocally yes, I am bothered that young people, um, that there's such an imbalance in Parliament. Um, I I think the the reason why it matters is is to do with policy issues. Um, It it is an, an objective fact that if people are represented in legislatures, they are more likely to shape policy in a way that is appropriate for, for for the group that the policy is targeting you know if you have better um representation of ethnic minorities then they will shape policy in a way that is informed by their own experiences same for all other groups and it's the same for age and i think you know i i'm not i don't believe that the person who makes the most noise or gives the best speeches is necessarily the best politician but i think you do have to look to the u.s and and look at Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and a number of her colleagues in the US House of Representatives, the phenomenal impact that she has had on youth engagement. You know, she, she is a cultural sort of icon now for young people. She has engaged people because she's made politics cool and she and, and by doing that she she makes people care about the issues that she talks about so yeah i'm absolutely bothered and then just secondly a sort of quite a geeky point i guess but you started we started the conversation by talking about institutions and of course within the house of parliament we've been talking largely about the house of commons but all, there also exists the house of lords and i think the house of lords is one of the single biggest institutional barriers to young people being interested in politics because you look at the, uh, the, the racial makeup of the House of Lords, the age makeup of the House of Lords, the, 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 the gendered makeup of the House of Lords, it is appallingly unrepresentative. And, you know, it, it's all very well saying you can stand for office in the House of Commons, but when you're next door to, to, to a body that can't even be elected, that is so unrepresentative, um, that, that is one of the biggest things that, that bothers me. And I think that's such a turn off for young people.
5: Ollie your point about um earlier on you said in the same way that like if you know people of color aren't represented at um, an institutional level those issues aren't going to be addressed for example because you know it's just not going to be a similar experience I definitely think it's the same thing with age and I think one of the most uh reflective examples we've got is with you know COVID-19 university policy university students tend to be constantly the last addressed and I know that I'm um definitely a bit biased as a university student it does constantly seem that in our current situation young people do tend to be the ones who are kind of just left on the back burner we will come back to them you know when we've sorted everyone else out which I do in a way attribute to the fact that there are no young people in power at the moment there aren't really any young people who probably have the same concerns as us. And it's because it's a shame that I think (laughs) politicians are a bit self-serving, but when there is a problem that isn't actually going to affect you or isn't going to affect any of your peers or anyone around you, what is the motivation to address it? Uh, I think it's a shame that there aren't more young people involved at an institutional level, because I do think that is the way you represent everyone. You know, the more you diversify the Commons or the Lords or any form of You know, institution that's meant to represent people. The more issues you'll address, and the more people you'll serve. Really,
4: I I would just reply by with one example being the the policy issue of the climate crisis. You know, I think people of our age are unanimous in their concern about the climate crisis. Um, in a way that older people really just aren't and it, it just doesn't seem to be clicking. And I don't say that in a patronising way. I just think young people really feel the worry about the climate crisis and that's, that is just one of many examples of why having more people our age uh, reflecting on issues that are going to come in the future, yeah, it's, it's about diversity of thought and diversity of perception in policy, I think.
1: And I'd agree and just go one further and say ultimately if there's no young people representing young people, then young people will not be represented uh, to a full extent. I mean, another example would be the current housing market, house prices, rent prices at the moment. I've no doubt that if younger people were better represented, or those who are trying to buy a house, or those who are trying to rent for the first time, were better represented as MPs in the House of Commons, I don't think we'd see such a Explosive climb in prices and sustained uh, climb at that uh, across different areas of the country, particularly in in the capital. So, um, so yeah,
5: I think just to add as a um, final point, I found that, well, I think that um, young people would probably be more likely to take into account the long term considerations of a lot of legislative decisions. So I know this is like a mass generalisation, but when I think of Brexit, for example, you know, I was 16 when that election happened. And if you looked at the voter statistics, the older you got, the more likely you were to vote leave and the younger you were, the more likely you are to vote remain. I think I've got the right way around. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think um, I, I'm not saying that's an indicator that young people are, you know, forward thinking and thinking towards the future or anything like that. But um, I think, you know, again, I don't want to, be cynical and assume that politicians are self-serving. But if you've got young politicians, they're going to be thinking about how things are going to affect them in future. And um, I think that's probably
3: something that's worth considering at that, you know, institutional level. So what's the solution? I returned to Professor James Sloan and Liam Hill to find out what ideas they had. The thing is, it is possible to create demographic change because we've seen it with, I'm not going to use race as an example, but gender, we've seen more women, still not enough, but we have seen more women as MPs. So do you think that age can follow that trajectory? Well, I
2: suppose one of the, one of the mechanisms that has been used to increase the representation of women in Parliament is all women shortlists, which have been you know, very successful for the Labour Party, primarily in terms of um, you know, bringing up the number of, the proportion of, of uh, women who are Labour MPs up to, I think it's, it's slightly over 50% now. Which is great. And so, I guess if you were going to follow that model, it would be a case of, of saying young people are underrepresented in politics, we should have a, an all young person shortlist. And there uh, are all sorts of um, uh, legal difficulties that you go into with certain types of positive discrimination. James might know better if, if, if an all young person shortlist would be um, a possibility at all. Um, but that's absolutely one of the ways, one of the proven ways that you have demographic change at the highest level is just by saying, well, some of these, uh, some of these seats, um, in the case of Parliament, are just going to be open to the certain groups of people.
0: I, I think it's, you have seen a massive improvement in terms of um, women's representation. But I think that it, you know the elephant in the room is the difference between the political parties. Because as Liam says, you now have just over um, 50% of um, Labour MPs are women. I think, I believe Labour MPs who are, um, come from ethnic minority backgrounds are actually slightly above um, the national average now as well. But um, there are other political parties that um, fall way behind on this. And so I think that it probably is incumbent upon, I think we should be open about this, the um, Conservative Party <laughs> um, to do a lot more To appeal to um, these groups, um, there isn't much difference, however, in terms of the parties um, between ages. I, I think to have the pipeline for younger people as prospective MPs, I think it's not just about having young people as MPs. It's also about not just having, when you do have a young P, someone who's come from a sort of policy group within. Um, the party, because I think, you know, they really I'm not sure that, you know, they are always the best ones to um, represent the interests of um, younger people anyway. But maybe just the political parties reaching out. They don't necessarily have to have shortlist, uh, you know, all young people shortlist, but they do need to say, you know, have this sort of stock taking. We want to get to, I don't know, the proportion of young people that there are in the population between 18 and 30 we want them in parliament in our party we are going to make sure that there's at least two or three um young people on every um short i mean that's that's possible um solution but it is really difficult um changing mindsets and also when you have these hierarchies that exist within uh, political parties and i mean they really need to engage more with um social movements and sort of capitalise on the
2: interest of young people in um, those sorts of issues. To add slightly to to James's point at the end there, I think what we are seeing more in politics now that maybe does give us some hope um, about the way in which the, the system might be changed and more more attention might be paid to the issues that young people care about is that our, our our political system in this country and in lots of other places is much more volatile than it has been historically. I hope that James will sort of um, agree with that. And it just, it seems like um, with each election that passes the, the result that you get is, um, or not, it seems that things are slightly less predictable now than they were and we're facing so many um, concurrent crises that uh, that any one of them could kind of spiral into uh, a really serious change in in how we do politics and how our party system is constituted. Um, so maybe I, I think I think there is some hope in, in in that volatility and that idea that overnight, you know, the the way that we understand politics, the way that we try to predict what happens in our political system can can change because of a Because of a crisis, because of a a social movement, because of a realignment that, that happens that you don't quite see coming.
3: With the 2021 local elections fast approaching, now it's even more important to get the youth involved. IF believes that young people are missing from British politics. There are many institutional barriers to the younger generations actively getting involved. And this means they just simply aren't being represented at both a regional and national level. So what if British politics experienced a youthquake? If more young people were elected at an institutional level, policy programmes would be universal, they would be representative of the population, they would be forward-looking, and they would be active rather than reactive by nature. More needs to be done. Fighting for equality amongst current and future generations is something that we should all strive towards and is central to the work of IF. If any of the topics and discussion in this month's podcast have caught your attention, then head over to www.if.org.uk, where IF have conducted incredible research into the topic. Or follow the Intergenerational Foundation on Twitter, Facebook, and even Instagram. See you next month. What IF? What IF? What IF? What IF? A monthly podcast series in partnership with IF, the Intergenerational Foundation.